The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Now my hockey my Kiadafold, Mihine Ko Duncan Grieve Tokungwa. Welcome to the second of a two-part mini monopod summer series. And uh, the first, I talked about the aftermath of the merger. If, if as looks increasingly likely, they blow it up, what should they do instead? Um, check that out in the feed. Um, but today, I want to talk about uh, artificial intelligence which has had a pretty uh, pretty extraordinary year in, in terms of shifting from the sort of abstract force that is in science fiction or, you know, decides what content we get served on social platforms to something that we can actually play around with ourselves. And, you know, we saw that first in uh, the likes of Dali 2, Stable Diffusion, Mid Journey, these these um, image creation platforms that that emerged almost it felt like weekly around the middle of the year, and really started to show, yeah, pretty stunning results where people who who figured out ways to write sophisticated prompts could get, you know, very sophisticated imagery that would ordinarily have taken a you know a visual artist, a, a designer a long time to make if they could even make it. And, you know, it caused a lot of consternation in the visual community. You know, you've seen the work in a lot of places. You can kind of sense that it's in the background of a lot of things. But that was the, the kind of big explosion. And there was a, there's a lot in it, which, which I'll talk about in a bit, about how that impacts the world. Um, and then the second one, which has, has come out in only the last few weeks, is called uh, ChatGBT. Um which has come out of OpenAI and is a sort of a text version of the same thing. You you write a prompt into a box uh, and it spits out some startlingly well-written and crafted um, text. But not only that, it also, you can get it to write a screenplay or some code or, and if it, you know, you can look at that code and if the code doesn't work, you can ask it to find out what's wrong with the code you know, we're really, you know, this thing's been out you know, a, a few weeks and already people are doing some pretty extraordinary things with it. And again, it's, it's, uh, it's prompting a sort of, a lot of excitement in some quarters and a lot of anguish in others. Like, 
And I basically just sort of want to, want to dig into that because I think it's a profoundly challenging technology in, in multiple ways. Um, you know, if, to be clear, it doesn't do away with the need for human interaction. The, you know, a lot of what it spits out, you know, is just wrong. Like I, I asked it, for example, to uh, to write me a history of um, recessions in New Zealand over the past 100 years. It was really readable. It had it, you know, like it was like a good explainer. It just missed three recessions completely. So that's you know, this is the kind of you know, like you just need a layer of fact checking in there, just like you need a probably someone who knows how to code to feed it um, to feed it prompts that'll get you good code in the first place. So in some respects, it can actually just make humans more efficient right now, though. As a, you know, we should always caveat. This is really early. Like, give it, give it time. It, it'll just get better, and it'll get better very fast. Um, I also think it's you know there is a version of this that's a real challenger to Google, which has felt completely like hegemonically uh, indomitable in search for a long time. Still, obviously, massively powerful and successful. But uh, you know, just like we've seen, you know, this research showing that a lot of Gen Z people will search uh, within TikTok, for example, rather than within Google. You know, I think there will be someone who sort of figures out a way to, you know, productize ChatGPT as as a search engine because it uses natural language. It's just it removes a layer from it. The problem with that being that it's often wrong. So you have this thing that, that is very convincing and just the only problem is that it might not be right. I guess stepping back, to me, the thing that's really confronting about this is like right now we're in a bit of a negotiation with, with Google as the news industry about, you know, we're, you know, just trying to kind of get them to, to give fair compensation for the use of our work. They have had this thing called feature snippets for a long time. You'll have definitely seen it. It's where you basically ask Google a question and it'll set up a, sta- a, a bunch of AI-generated similar questions. You click down uh, on a button and it will take a, a chunk of text highlighted from another source, often a news organization. That'll be the answer that you're looking for. That's great as a product. It's just, and it's great for Google, which, which can sell ads around that, gets data around that. It's just terrible for the news organization which doesn't even know the thing happened in the first place the 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 chat gpt version of that is even more confronting in that it can basically just read the internet once digest it and then start to spit out um answers and it doesn't even know its sources like it basically uses sort of pattern matching and natural language to just tell you some things and so if you're the human who create, you know, created that knowledge, uh, vetted it, put it online, in much the same way as artists feel like they got totally dicked over by uh, you know, the, the various AI um, art generation tools reading their work and then folding, you know, synthesizing that and then spitting it out as an image. And I think they absolutely have a point there, by the way. I also think that those who created the knowledge that the open AI has digested have a right to be frustrated at the way that information is being used by all kinds of large language um, processing tools and just kind of given to people without any kind of compensation or 
yeah, more fundamentally, and is any incentive structure economically to create more um, verified information or screenplays or, or whatever the hell you name, um, you know. And with Google, as much as there's a frustration there, you know the source. The source is right there with you. With with ChatGPT, at least right now, it does not know the source. It cannot tell you the source. Uh, you know that's that's just a that's a really confronting thing um, in terms of how that that interacts with the rest of us. Um, and you know, to me, the, we are we are literally weeks into to this this kind of next revolution on, on the text-based side. Um, I think it's completely inconceivable that we don't have soon have nicely designed sites which are basically full of auto-generated text. Um, in fact, it doesn't seem like particularly inconceivable that you could ask ChatGPT to create a site and then just continually fill it with, with new stories which will be indexed by Google that are basically kind of sophisticated seeming answers to almost every conceivable question. Uh, you know, they know, you know, you wouldn't have to necessarily vet them. They just exist. And if they were, people found them convincing enough, I don't know. It feels like it, we still are living in the era where there are chum boxes, you know, those like weird ads that you see at the bottom of stories with like someone's gross toe and a very clickable headline. That's still a business right now. So if there's any opportunity to have to create content for almost zero cost and uh, and wrap ads around it and sell it, someone's going to do it. Like that's just a, kind of like a, an iron law of the internet. Um, so right, and right now a lot of them are false. Maybe they get better. I don't know. Like I, I really try not to be a luddite about this. You know, it's I I'm a journalist. I think journalism matters. I think that it's actually, it's a lot harder and more complicated than people give it credit for. But I also don't think the world owes us a living. Like, if like there are lots of people who spend their lives operating in a kind of a post news environment, they get by just fine, you know. And in some ways it reminds me of the way that like fund you know, active fund managers get annoyed at index funds for you know sort of piggybacking on their hard research you know like i mean that that's true but the average person you know you you sort of basically end up talking your own book i like to think that, that it's important that journalism exists i like to think that it shouldn't be a philanthropic activity that AI replacing what we do, let alone what screenwriters and poets and coders do is a kind of a scary process. But like, let's be honest, from the 1850s on, we have seen successive waves of manual labor disrupted by, by machines. And the whole kind of thesis is that, you know, that's unfortunate, but you know, progress watches on. It's only now that it's come for sort of knowledge economy workers that that we're we're getting really upset about it. And um, so, you know, I, I'm trying to kind of wrestle with with both the, both those things. But um, like fundamentally, I do feel like as a society, you need some sort of fact checking mechanism. You know, you you need to pay attention to your information architecture. You want a way of people testing whether something's true. Like I saw a TikTok recently. It was super compelling. The 
person delivering it was very passionate. One of the things they said was that the richest three families own more than half of New Zealand combined. And you're like, holy, that's really full on. It's also hard to know exactly what it means, but I just can't conceive of a way it could possibly be true. But it has been viewed over 300,000 times, and that's where our attention is going. So I don't know. The stuff is really confronting. It's happening really fast. It feels like our our politicians and and policymakers are to some degree fighting yesterday's war. I just – I do kind of – uh, we, I wish that that someone would would kind of the way that you're starting to see in in Europe and the US start pay, paying a lot of attention to this and really kind of making grappling with its complexity something that that's part of their platform. Haven't seen it yet, but I live in hope um, because you know when again just to revert back to the original point for all creators in this sort of modern economy, the incentives are around volume. You know, there are already like masses of videos teaching you how to use it to create scripts for your videos. Like that's obviously like become a big theme um, for for TikTok creators. You know, I played around with it. The writing's better than a lot of you what you see in commodity news. It's very convincing, but like I say, it's just not accurate. And if you start to have people give all of their attention to platforms which which are unvetted. They will, you know, if you've got a compelling person who you've developed relationships with, who you believe, if they tell you something's true, it's it will start to become part of your reality. And if you don't have a mechanism to test whether that's accurate, I don't know. It just feels like maybe you're going to have more more um, little mini festivals on the lawn of Parliament if that's the case. So. You know, I don't know exactly what what the response to this is, but it just needs to be something you take a lot more seriously than this is like a cute thing I can do some tweets about. You know, we have another pipe disrupting the old pipes and getting further and further from any system which might incentivize the creation of verified facts that we can sort of debate collectively as a species. And while we all have issues with the media, like it did at least serve as a staging ground with some basic rules attached where arguments could be litigated with reference to facts that everyone agreed on. And I think when that goes, we lose a lot, um, you know, from politics, from business, from society. And uh, so I guess this is my, um, you know, this is a a chill and cheery thing to be talking about um, over summer, but... Uh, there's there's just something disquieting about how fast this is advancing and how little attention we seem to be paying to to how broadly it might impact. I could just be wrong. Like I could be that this is just a cute sideshow. People incorporate into their working lives and we just move on. But it feels like the pace and the accessibility and the way it meshes with a lot of our information architecture that it might not stay cute for long. That is the second of my mini monopods. I hope it was entertaining. Uh, I really appreciate your listening uh, over summer, but also throughout the whole year. Um, I'll be back with normal service resuming on January 16. The Fold is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It's hosted by Duncan Grieve, with production by Tiahe Butler and Samuel Robinson. Series production is by Jane Yee. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.
the Spin-Off Podcast Network.